Many are familiar with the story of the adult son who demanded his inheritance, ran off to the far country, squanders that inheritance, and then ultimately returns home, seeking his father's forgiveness. It's often called the prodigal son. And up next on Leading the Way Audio, a closer look at this familiar parable. Listeners around the world are learning that this story, well, it's really more about the father's love and forgiveness than it is about the rebellion and repentance of the son. In a moment, Dr. Youssef looks at the progression of sin we see in the life of the son and the father's love. You're also sure to see the love of our Heavenly Father all over this story. So listen with me as Dr. Michael Youssef continues this audio series called Enduring Wisdom. Today, as we continue to look at the story of Jesus telling of the Father of those two sons, today we're going to deal with the younger rebellious son, and in the next message I'll talk about the outwardly compliant son. This younger boy, as we would say, he had the mind of his own. This is the kind who doesn't want to do anything his parents tell him to do. <laughs> he wants to be his own boss. In fact, back in the 60s and the 70s, there used to be a big billboard in a small town in the south, and it read as follows, Attention, teenagers! Are you tired of being harassed by your stupid parents? Act now. Move out. Get a job. Pay your bills while you still know everything. <laughs> now, the word parodical, which describes this younger son in the story, it means rebellious extravagance. Rebellious extravagance. I want to tell you, extravagance with children in any area creates parodicals. Lack of boundaries and limitation with children create parodicals. Absence of training and discipline create parodicals. But if you really want to be extravagant with your children, young mom and dad, I want to tell you, there's a one area you can be very extravagant with them. That's your time. Be very extravagant with your time with them. I want you to turn with me, please. Luke 15. I hope you have it open in front of you. Just want you to imagine the smirk on that boy's face as he was packing his Jerusalem designer jeans and uh, his Mount Zion designer shirts. I can imagine his surly face accusing his parents of being out of touch with reality. I can imagine the bitterness that he had to a dad for his rules about going to church and cleaning his room and doing his chores. The Bible said it was only a few days after he gathered some of his assets that his father gave him and left, probably went on a fire sale and converted these assets into cash, filled his pocket with cash, went out into his convertible camel. Have you ever seen a convertible camel? Seriously. They all are. <laughs> he got into his convertible camel and popped up the wheels, front wheels, and whoo, peeled rubber. Thirty feet, headed for the Big Apple. Oh, baby, he's made it now. He takes off and leaves behind a broken-hearted father, a scornful, 
older brother, a devastated community. He leaves no rights to claim. He burns all the bridges, or at least he thought he did. He wipes the slate clean, or so he thought. Look what Jesus said in verse 13. And the sun scattered. I know some translation has other words, but the word scattered is more accurate because it's literally the same word that is used when a farmer at uh, planting time throwing seeds on the ground during the planting time, kind of without much thought. He's just scattering it around. He was thinking that this money is going to buy him friends, that this money will buy him happiness, that this money will buy him popularity. This money is going to buy him some social standing. And it worked. It worked for a while, while the money lasted. I recently was reading an article about some celebrity who has all these friends for a big party, and the commentator says, he said, those friends that she bought. (laughs) Now, to all my young friends, I want you to listen to me. Wherever you've been sitting, young friends, please listen to me. This is coming from the heart of a loving grandfather. Be careful of wanting popularity at any cost. Be careful. Be careful of wanting acceptance at any cost, because it could cost you a whole lot more than money. And when the money ran out for this young man, all of his friends that he bought with his money basically dropped him and dumped him like a a disposable diaper. Now you would think, okay, he's in trouble. First thing occurred to him at this point is go home, right? Oh, no. He was not about to crawl back to his father. His pride is still alive and well. The number one reason why people don't come to Christ, they might call themselves atheists, agnostics, they might call themselves whatever they want to call them. You go all the way and dig deep, it's pride. They don't want to humble themselves before God. They're too prideful. They think they can save themselves. Coming to Christ, crown Him, the Lord of your life requires putting down of human pride. I'm guessing that at this point, this son is not broken enough, is not desperate enough to come home. Probably he said to himself, I can't go back there. I can't go back there and ask for forgiveness. That's required humility. I'm going to eat my brother's food, and I'm going to live under my father's house, and I cannot walk through the narrow streets of the village where every finger is pointing at me. To make things worse, verse 14, look at verse 14, underline it, a famine struck that part of the world where they were living. (laughs) See, that son was not ready yet, even though there's a famine, but he's still not ready. So he gets a brilliant idea, a brilliant idea you never thought about before. Get a job. (laughs) Oh, what kind of a job a Jewish boy, a Jewish young man is going to have in a gentle country in the middle of famine? I mean, bankers and corporations are not hiring CEOs anymore. (laughs) And there 
where he hits rock bottom. Now, this is rock bottom, not rock, rock, rock bottom, but just rock bottom. <laughs> Hasn't got the rock, rock, rock bottom yet. For a Jewish young man to take care of pigs would be like a very rich American kid working on cleaning sewers. Remember, pigs back then were not like what they are now in the Western countries, where you have hog farmers uh, feed them nice food and take good care of them and clean them and all that stuff. Back then, they gave the pigs the worst of the worst of the worst of the garbage. Think about this. And that's why our Jewish friends to this day do not eat ham. But this is a famine time. This is a famine time. Even the garbage was in short supply. <laughs> so they used these dry pods. Some of you may have seen those called carobs, two varieties of carobs. Uh, I, as a boy growing up, I used to eat the edible one. The edible one, a little softer, you can eat, and they're sweet. But there's a harder ones that they fed for, to the pig. I mean, literally will destroy your teeth if you just take one bite. And those unedible carobs or pods, verse 16, look at it with me. <laughs> But even this young man, this is what they're giving to the pigs. They wouldn't let him have that, some of that. In other words, the pigs were better off than he was. Now, beloved, this is what you call the bottom of the bottom of the bottom for that son. So now he begins to think how much better off servants in his father's household, in the servants' quarters, how much better off they are than he is where he is now in this abysmal condition. Finally, he begins of thinking of swallowing his pride. <laughs> Have you ever tried to swallow your pride? Oh, my goodness, you can get choked. But it's a good thing to do every now and again. Swallow his pride. Listen, pride destroy individuals. Pride destroy nations. Pride destroy families. Think about this. Think about this. The very core of the Christian faith. It is only when a person comes to the realization that they are totally broken, that they are desperate in need of the Savior, that they have to bend the knees to the Savior, that they have to bend their will to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have to come and say, Father, forgive me. That's the very core of our Christian faith. Verse 17, Jesus said that when the Son came to Himself, that's actually a literal translation, came to Himself. Some of your translations said came to His senses, but literally He came to Himself. He came to His senses. Only then when He began to articulate his speech that he needs to give to the Father. He began to rehearse what he would say to the Father. What would he say to the Father? See, all of a sudden, he began to snap out of his insanity. All of a sudden, he began to snap out of his stupor of self-focus. All of a sudden, this is more than just feeling sorry that he wasted his money, that he has wasted his life, that things just did not work out as the way he wished that they would have worked out. This is not just being sorry that plans failed. No, 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 no. This is a whole lot more than that. He actually realized that he had sinned greatly, not only against his father, but against God. 
he actually came to the realization that he brought degradation and shame on his father's good name. He understood now that everything has to change. Everything has to change. He is no longer arrogant and prideful. He is no longer feeling, I deserve this. He is now contented to be called a servant or a slave. He is now happy to live in the servant's quarters. He is now happy to have a servant-master relationship. To put it in the vernacular, he was totally and completely broken before God. Often, we have to be broken before we come to our senses. Look at this young man. You see, when he left home, what did he say? He said, give me! But when he came home, he said, make me. When he left home, he resented being called a son. But when he came back and came to his senses, he was willing to be called a slave. When he left home, he called it independence and pleasure-seeking. But when he came home, he called it sin. He got what he wanted and lost what he had. Now he's contented with far less. Beloved, the Bible said in Hebrews 11, 25, Hebrews 11, 25, sin is pleasurable. For a moment, for a moment. It's pleasurable until STD or AIDS begin to destroy the body. It's pleasurable until alcohol begins to destroy the liver. It's pleasurable until drugs start frying the brains, or until you realize that there is a hefty price that there are many other people are paying for your sin. In fact, I believe there are three stages for sin. No, no, don't panic. It's not three-point sermon, but three stages. I'll tell you them very, very quickly. There's the charm of sin, there's the contour of sin, and there is the consequences of sin. I had to work hard, get them all in the sea here so you can remember them. I'm going to explain that. There's the charm of sin. It was the allure of the far country, away from mom and dad, the allure. Then there was the contour or the profile. I use contour because it starts with C. <laughs> the profile of sin. Give me! I deserve this. And then there is the consequences of sin, the spiritual pigsty. Beloved, the only answer to sin is return. Return. Can you say that with me? Return. Repent. Return to the place that you know God wants you to be. Return to the place what you know your parents have prayed for you, your family members and your friends have prayed for you to come back to. Return to the place where your father's security, safety. In the last message, I showed you how the father stripped himself of his dignity, of his honor. In that context, in that culture, he stripped himself by running in order to welcome his repentant son. And we saw that this is a picture of God the Father through God the Son going to the cross, suffering all the indignities and the pain and the suffering of the cross, 
in order that those who are redeemed and repent of their sins be forgiven, be restored, be accepted, and be qualified for heaven. But there's something else I don't want you to miss, and it's about the encounter between the repentant son and the forgiving father. The repentant son and the forgiving father. Don't miss this. The father did not even let the son finish the speech. Now, this is very, he said, Michael, what's the big deal about this? It's huge. Just listen to me, okay? Humor me. Probably this young man, no doubt, knowing human nature, he was rehearsing the speech in his mind. He's probably going over it. When I see my father, I'll say this. And when I see my father, I'll say this. When I see my father, I'll say this. You know, goes rehearsing it in his head. But look at verse 21. Verse 21. The son began to make the speech, Father, I have sinned. And as if the father says, I've heard enough. I've heard all I want to hear. I heard all I need to hear. But, 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 but what about the part of making me one of your hired servants? That's not necessary. But why? Because the Father, listen to me, this is very important. The Father, our Father in heaven, does not take anyone who is not a son or a daughter. Can I get an amen? Now, we can serve God, and we do joyfully to our heart's content. I have the privilege of calling myself the servant of the living God, but because of Jesus, the Father will not, He will not say it with me, He will not call us anything other than son and daughter. Glory to God. I want to shout about you. Beloved, listen to me. The grace of God is not partial. The grace of God is not with measure. The grace of God is not conditional. The grace of God is immeasurable. Like the old song we used to sing in the old days by Thomas Williams, Oh, deep, deep love of Jesus, vast and unmeasurable, boundless free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. But Father, what about my past sins? What sins? But Father, what about what I did to you? What did you do to me? I know most of you know this, but let me remind you again, and I don't want you to ever forget. Write it down. Hang it on the wall, on your fridge, wherever you want to. Satan is the only one who will always remind you of your past sins. God never. God never. Because the Bible said He takes our past sins and He puts them in the deepest sea. As dear Corey Tim Boom used to say, don't you go fishing for them. <laughs> Something else as I conclude. Some of you may have a hard time forgiving somebody else. I don't know. Only you do. Your parents, perhaps. A family member. Son or daughter. A brother or sister in Christ. And you're having a hard time forgiving them. Or having a hard time forgiving yourself. Beloved, that's pride. 
That's pride. If God forgave you, you can and you must forgive others. Often that's called self-righteousness. You notice the young man did not stop in one of the bathhouses nearby the village before he came to Daddy and took a hot bath, cleaned himself up, stopped smelling and stinking. He did not do that. The boy did not go to an old friend and say, can I borrow some clothes because these are filthy clothes. I want to get dressed and be presentable to my father. He did not do that. He came to the father, confession on his lips, repentance in his heart. Because only the father, listen to me, only the father can truly cleanse us when he forgives us. There are some people who think that you have to go through these hoops before God can accept you. I grew up in it. I know it. I understand it. I don't agree with it because it's obviously not biblical. Today you can change that. Others think that they have to go through some religious rituals before they've been accepted by the Father. Falsehood. The Father only wants to hear from the lips and know that the heart is repentant of sin. Accepting Jesus as your only Savior and the Lord of your life, He will do the rest. Comforting words of truth. He will do the rest. He will do the rest. Thank you for listening to Leading the Way with pastor and international Bible teacher, Dr. Michael Youssef. You can reach out to Dr. Youssef and his team for any reason when you call us at 866-626-4356 or online, ltw.org. Now, Dr. Youssef has joined me in the studio. We thought this would be a perfect opportunity to ask him about his new book. It's called How to Read the Bible, and the subtitle is As If Your Life Depends on It. Dr. Youssef, that's a terrific title. What led you to write How to Read the Bible? I have been wanting to write this book for 50 years, perhaps longer, because that is the distillation of how I came to believe, trust in the authenticity and the inspiration and the infallibility of the Word of God. And so I felt in a time that Some preachers even are moving away from the Old Testament. Some are going back to an old heresy that says that the Old Testament God is not the same God as the New Testament was absolute fallacy. And so I wanted to show everyone who is interested (laughs) that the Bible is one unit. It's like somebody said, the Old Testament is like a house without the roof. The New Testament is the roof. And therefore, between the two Testaments, it's a complete book from Genesis to Revelation. It is a unit, one unit. And that is why it's important to absolutely see how you can trust the historicity, the authenticity, and the entire unity of the Bible. Thank you, Dr. Youssef. Pre-order your copy of How to Read the Bible today. That way you can get yours the moment it's released. Get more details when you call one of our ministry representatives at 866-626-4356.
866-626-4356. That's 866-626-4356. Or learn more about the content and complete your order quickly online. The website, ltw.org. Now, there are only a few more episodes of this powerful series still to come, so before our time is gone for today, let me play just a moment of what you can expect to hear on an upcoming Leading the Way audio episode. More than ever, we need to help the younger generation to realize that neither legalism nor using of the grace of God as a license to sin is the answer. The answer is to fall in love with Jesus. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Learn more at ltw.org.